How's everybody doing? Good, man. You nine o'clockers. It's rowdy. It's good. Um, okay, so I'm good. I'm doing well. I'm going to tell you guys a, a fun story. I wasn't going to tell you this, um, but my wife insisted because she thought it was quite funny. So last Friday, I was doing a wedding out in like the Manchester area, uh, a couple that comes here, but they're getting married at a venue out there and drove out there. And I'm always usually about an hour early when I get to weddings. And so uh, I'm wearing like a Navy suit because no one wears black at weddings anymore now. So I had to buy other colored suits and I'm wearing this Navy suit and drive all the way there. And, and ironically, I had just cleaned my car because I'm afraid someone's going to look in it at the wedding and, and judge me. But um, <laughs> I just cleaned my car. And so I get out and I look down at my driver's seat. I've been in this car for 30 minutes, right? I look down and there was, I don't know how this happened, but some bug had gotten smashed on my driver's seat and there's bug guts all over my driver's seat. And I'm like, well, if it's on my driver's seat, it's also on my butt, right? So I'm in the parking lot of this venue and I have my cell phone. Let's pretend like that's what this is. And uh, I'm taking all these pictures of my butt, but I'm, I'm doing this so I can identify how bad this is before I walk into this venue. So I'm taking all these pictures, hoping that no one sees me. And I'm looking and I'm swiping through and then I see the one where there is obviously bug guts all over my butt. And so I go into the venue and like, everyone's like, hey, pastor, hey, hey, hey. And I'm just, I'm trying to like, hey, and I'm walking to where no one can see like the back of me. And I slip into the bathroom, got to take my pants off in the stall. And I'm like cleaning up my, the, the, the butt of my pants, right? And I put my clothes back on. Finally, you know, I'm good. I walk out into the bathroom and the brother of the bride, Elijah, he walks out and he's like, hey, Corey. And I'm like, hey man, like, can you look at my butt for a second and just make sure that I got everything? off and, and I just walked out of the stall and he goes, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm turned around and he's looking and he's like, you're good. And I was like, all right. And I never really explained why. And I probably should have been like, this is why I wanted you to. <laughs> there you go. So my wife thoroughly enjoyed that. And she thoroughly enjoyed going through my pictures. And there's like 10 pictures of my, my butt taken by me. Right. <laughs> She's scrolling through this. She, she had a good time with that. So. There you go. You're welcome. So, <laughs> yeah, this is fun. Um, last week, if you weren't here, I was here at all four services, listened to Greg a couple of times. I thought he did a phenomenal job with a really, really tough chapter. Yeah, the, the Greg fans. Um, what Greg had to do in chapter three of First Timothy is you take a chapter that a lot of people will quickly glaze over because they don't think it applies to them. I'm not an elder, I'm, I don't think I'm a deacon, you know, like how does this apply to me? And what Greg did is he took chapter three of 1 Timothy and he basically said that, that these things, these standards kind of apply to all of us. Character is not just for leaders or pastors, character is for all people, right? Especially if we call ourselves Christians, character matters. And I think he did a really good job kind of communicating that to us. This week, um, chapter four is, is short, but extremely practical. We're gonna get in it and you're gonna be, I think a little fascinated on how practical this chapter really, really becomes for us. And we're gonna focus on this little line at the very end of the chapter, chapter four in 1 Timothy, which is in the New Testament, by the way, if you have a Bible with you. At the very end of this, the author, an older man named Paul, writes to a younger protege, uh, he writes and he says something very, very striking and, and very provocative at the end of this chapter. He says, pay close attention to your life. Pay close attention 
to how you're living. In a day and age when we're probably most, the most distracted generation that has ever lived, we go back into this 2,000-year-old text and we see that the author says, pay attention, pay attention. So we're gonna hit that point kind of at the end. Now, let me preface this lesson a little bit. I'm not gonna like hammer on you guys or anything like that, but if you're new to the church or maybe you've been here for a while, you kinda already know this, we're gonna talk like brothers and sisters today. We're gonna talk like we're family. We're gonna be real, we're gonna be honest. I'm, you know, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna say some things that, that I, I'm gonna indict myself on some things that I'm guilty of. And some of you may feel a little guilty about some stuff too, but we're gonna talk like adults and we're just gonna be real honest this morning. If that's not your cup of tea, then maybe this church isn't your cup of tea, but that's the way that we're gonna do things, okay? We're just gonna be real upfront and let the text speak to us. And, and let's just be honest with ourselves and um, let's not get our feelings hurt too easily today, okay? So uh, I'm gonna pray. We're gonna jump into this. And um, I, hope this, I hope this sharpens all of us and I hope that, that everything we do honors God ultimately, right? So that's what I pray this morning and um, we'll dive into this and we'll see what happens. You should've got a notes hand out when you walked in. If you have a smartphone, if you have the Experience Community app, click on service and then sermon notes, everything is there. If you have a Bible, we're in the New Testament, we're in 1 Timothy chapter four towards the end of your Bible. So I think we should be in good shape, all right? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, God, I just wanna tell you I love you. I thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for everyone who is in this room this morning. <clears throat> pray that you keep your hand on us, Lord, that you bless us through your word, that you can sharpen us, God, and, and, and edify this body of people. Lord, we pray not only for this body, God, we pray for every church in our community, in our city, in our county, the ones that we work with up in New England and all over the world, God, we pray, Lord, that everything we do, that it honors you. We pray, God, that it makes you proud and, and that our study is fruitful, Lord. We love you. We thank you, God. Keep your hand on me as I teach. Pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm gonna read a little bit. I'm gonna go back and break it down, okay? This is Paul writing to Timothy in the city of Ephesus, okay? Here's what he says. Now, the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. They forbid marriage and they demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. So whenever the Bible says in later days these things are gonna happen, listen, ever since the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have been in later days, right? We are winding down. And the closer we get to winding down human history on this earth the way we know it, the closer we get to that winding down, the more intense evil becomes. And the reason why evil becomes more intense is Satan knows that his time is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. So the closer we get to Jesus coming back, the more, G the more Satan is gonna be dealing it out, right? He's gonna be fighting tooth and nail to, to confuse people, to distract people, to get people off the right track. So what happens is this, is when we get off the right track, when societies and cultures or just individuals get off of focusing on God, what do we naturally focus on? We focus on ourselves. We become selfish. 
and we start to listen to teachings that gratify us. It's not about God, it's about you and I, right? It becomes about us. Now listen, here's the thing about that. Any other teaching, and this is not a very popular thing to say, especially in our pluralistic society that we live in, any other teaching besides the teaching of Jesus Christ, according to the Bible, is a teaching that comes from demonic influence. Now that is very unpopular, but I didn't write that. God inspired that and it was written by greater men than me. So we are spiritual beings and everything we do has a spiritual connotation, a spiritual reaction. And the Christian, the true Christian, must believe that any teaching outside of this book is dangerous. It is deceitful and it is from the devil. It is a teaching of demons. Now again, this is very unpopular, right? It's very unpopular to say that this is the way, the truth, and the life, but that is the words of Jesus Christ himself. So anything not grounded in Christ has to be grounded in Satan, even though it looks attractive, even though it looks sexy, right? Even though it looks enticing. So let's thread the needle here a little bit. This is a tough one, but we're gonna go for it. Satan is very subtle. So I've been to the, the, the temple of Satan, right, in Salem, Mass. In fact, I was in Salem, Mass just a couple of days ago. Fun, fun story. So the last time I was in Salem, Mass, I went to the temple of Satan, met the curator, talked to him for about 40 minutes. I was in a coffee shop Thursday. He walked in and goes, dude from Nashville. And I'm like, dude from the Satanic Temple. And we talked, right? <laughs> I'm wearing my raise a hallelujah shirt and I'm sitting here talking with this guy, having coffee with this guy. Fascinating conversation. But here's the thing. The devil doesn't do his best work through the church of Satan. Most people are not gonna be attracted to that, right? Satan does his best work through subtleties, through things that appear very beautiful, that are very manipulative. Now that doesn't mean that all people who are into Buddhism or into Islam or into Hinduism or into uh, Eastern philosophies and things like that, it doesn't mean that these people are inherently awful, terrible people, but they have been deceived and manipulated by philosophies that on the outside look very pretty but will end in their destruction. Amen. And so that's where the devil does his best work and things that look very beautiful, right? If you go back to Genesis 3, the devil didn't show up to, to uh, uh, Genesis 3, the devil didn't show up to in the Garden of Eden like looking like the devil from legend, right? Hey, you should eat some of that fruit, right? That's not how he did it. He showed up as a subtle serpent. And you know what's fascinating is he didn't try to get humanity to worship him. He tried to get humanity to worship themselves. If you eat from that tree, you'll be like a god. It's still the same lie that the devil is telling us today. So not only will the devil, though, use all these very manipulative, beautiful kind of side philosophies and religions, the devil will actually use some people who will can't come in the name of Jesus Christ to deceive people. In Timothy's time, the, the guy who was receiving this letter, there was a bunch of cults rising up who were saying if you didn't eat a certain way or if you didn't get married or if you did all these different works that you would be saved, this kind of secret knowledge that you can earn salvation through these different things that you do, that's bad theology. It's damning theology because the Bible says that we're not saved by our good works. If we were, we would boast about it. It says that we're saved by grace through faith. Now, when we're saved by grace through faith, then we do good works. Good works are a part of the Christian life, but we don't earn our salvation. We are given our salvation by God through grace 
and then we do good things with it, right? And any other theology is wrong. So here's the thing about rules though. Rules are not bad. The other side of that pendulum is a lot of Christians are like, we don't need rules. You do need rules. Without rules, there is no target. Without the 10 commandments, we don't know what to aim at. The rules tell us what is evil and what is good. But because we are incapable of always following the rules, we need God's grace to help us hit that target. So even if we do all the 10 commandments, which and honest, honestly we can't, but even if we think we do all the 10 commandments, that doesn't always mean that our heart is in the right place. There was a young man that walked up to Jesus, read the gospels in Matthew, and he says, I follow all the 10 commandments. And Jesus says, awesome, that's great. What about these things? And the guy's heart was in the, right, in the wrong place. So we're saved by grace because we don't always hit the target. But without rules, without rules, we don't even know what the target is, right? So rules are important. They have their place. But these people that were misleading others, right? Different doctrines. The Bible says teachings of demons. Paul says that their consciences have been seared. Basically, there are a bunch of people out there, some of them who come in the name of Jesus Christ, and they're really just looking out for themselves, right? They really just want you to tithe because they wanna buy another jet or another million dollar home or they want power or they want influence. They're self-serving. They have no moral compass. And so like what I said earlier, the real basis of satanic thought, the real basis of Satanism, I don't know if you guys know this or not, when I was at the satanic temple, and I've known this for a lot of times, it was just interesting to hear a guy say it, Satanists don't worship Satan. They don't even believe, most of them don't even believe in a devil. The basis of Satanism is worship of self. If you buy a copy of the Satanic Bible, which I don't recommend you do, if you open that up, the first quote is a, is a quote from a man named Aleister Crowley, the grandfather of Satanism. And he has what's called the Law of Thelema. And the Law of Thelema is this, do as thou wilt is the whole of the law. In our modern day vernacular, he says, do what you wanna do, that's the only rule, right? Do what you wanna do. Worship yourself, be your own God. And so what happens is, all these other teachings of demons become self-centered because the devil wins when we become self-centered, when we worship ourselves. So what Paul says is he says, everything created by God is good. Now when he says that, that's not a license to partake in anything. See, I told you I could smoke weed, Corey. God created it. God made poison ivy too. I don't recommend that you roll that up and smoke it. Just throwing that out there. Anyways, but here's the thing. When we read the Bible and when we pray, we can have wisdom and discernment from the Word and from the Holy Spirit of what to partake in and what not to partake in. So when it says God created everything, but it's sanctified by the word and by prayer, we know what is good for us and we know what is not good for us. So we need to read the word, we need to pray, and here's a good one, use a little bit of common sense, right? If you do those things, you will grow a better relationship with God. Okay, let's move on. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of the faith and the teaching that you have followed. But you have nothing to do or have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. You Area 51 people, just circle verse seven there. <laughs> Rather, train yourself in godliness. <laughs> For the training of the body has limited benefit, 
But godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promises for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. For this reason, we labor and strive because we've put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe. Now, Paul was reminding Timothy, as a leader, it's tough. He said, Timothy, your job as a leader, your responsibility is to point out bad teaching, right? That this is wrong, this is right, and you're to point that out. You're also to point out what is bad behavior. He's supposed to call people out, of course, in a loving way, but this is wrong, this is right. The reason why this is important is the integrity of the truth has to be guarded. Christ, the integrity of Christ on earth has to be guarded and it's guarded by Christians. Now that is often painful and it's quite often, I would say maybe all the time, counter-cultural. But here's the thing, if we deny the truth here, the truth denies us when we stand in front of Jesus Christ and we have to give an account. Listen, I would rather you hate me on Facebook or hate me in general by me sticking to the truth. I would rather you have, I'd rather you hate me than stand in front of Jesus Christ and say, I don't know who you are. I would rather you deny me on earth than him deny me in heaven, right? And as the Christian, I think you need to let that soak into your brain a little bit. I would rather have to own up in front of you guys than have to own up in front of Christ. So here's the other thing. Paul is telling Timothy not to get caught up in stupid stuff. So pointless and silly myths have been going around for a long time. Not everything that is promoted is spiritual is healthy. When that book, The Secret, came out a couple years ago, it's garbage, it's materialism, it's the prosperity gospel wrapped up in mysticism. It's crap, right? And so what Paul was saying is, Timothy, don't get caught up in conversations about things that don't mean anything. In fact, just because Netflix makes a documentary over something doesn't mean it's real, guys. Right? Well, there's a documentary, Corey. I don't care, right? There's documentaries about the earth being flat. It's not. It's a ball, guys. I hate to break it to some of you. And so just because someone says it's true doesn't mean it's true. And Paul says, do not get wrapped up in that. Now, for our modern day and age, we are a society, even a Christian society. Man, we'll watch all these documentaries and get wrapped up in this flat earth or Area 51 stuff, and we can't even tell you what the Ten Commandments are. Guys, listen, nothing wrong with documentaries. If you know more about Area 51 than you do about the Gospels of Jesus Christ and you call yourself a Christian, something is wrong, guys. Something is wrong, Often we get distracted by ridiculous philosophies. We often get distracted by conspiracy theories and empty religious practices. This may be the most important thing you hear today. If Satan can't distort the truth, he will just distract you from learning it. Amen. Let me say it one more time. If Satan can't distort, he'll just get you to distract, right? Hold, hold, hold on a second, hold on a second. I remember one time, I remember one time I was up in Auburn Hills, Michigan. It's like North Detroit. I was speaking at this mega church, not quite as big as this one, but I mean, a pretty good sized church, a couple thousand people. And so I was up there and before I was gonna speak, a couple hours before I speak, I went into Starbucks with the pastor that asked me to speak. He's much cooler than me. He has like geometric shapes tattooed on him and stuff. And so <laughs> much cooler than me. Um, but we go into this Starbucks, right? And he walks up to the counter. What can I get for you? 
Um, I'll have the uh, I'll have the the ice latte. Right, pastor. Right in that town. So I walk up right behind him, and I say, you know, what can I get for you? Oh, Anna. Hey, do you go to Oakland's the the college here? Yeah, I do. Oh, awesome. Like like, what are you studying? Studying music. Oh, I love music. I actually started off on music in college, but switched it to English. Oh, where are you from? From Nashville. And she goes, oh my gosh. And I'm like, got to talking. And she goes, what kind of music do you like? And I'm like, I'm a huge David Bowie and Cure fan. And she's like, oh my gosh, me too. And we got to talking and sitting here talking. They haven't even taken my order yet. And we're talking and we're talking. What are you doing up here? Well, I'm speaking of this church down the road. You ever heard of this church down the road? And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the street that's on and stuff. And she goes, what time are you speaking? And I was like, I think I'm speaking at seven. She goes, I get off at six. And I'm like, Swing by, and if you do, please make sure you say hi to me. She's like, awesome, cool, maybe I'll see you tonight. And I was like, all right, see you, Anna. Ordered my drink, walked to the end. And I remember he was just like this. <laughs> and that night when I was introduced at the church, the guy's like, this is Pastor Corey. He talks to people when he meets them. And, and I'm sitting there on the edge of the stage, and I'm like, is that revolutionary up here? <laughs> but here's the thing, guys. When you got... Here's where I'm going to go down jerk road here for a second. When you guys are constantly doing this, especially in a place that is designed for conversation, a coffee shop, whenever Christians are constantly doing this, when you're at the Grand Canyon and instead of looking at the Grand Canyon, you're taking a selfie, or whenever you are, you're constantly engaged in this thing, do you know what you're missing when you're doing this? A young lady named Anna that works at a Starbucks in Michigan who doesn't have a church home who may never be invited to go to a church unless you put this dang thing down, right? Listen, hey, listen, even further than that, your kids, your marriage. Some of you guys are so busy texting you don't notice your wife walking out the door. Some of you ladies are so busy trying to get that perfect selfie that you forget that your kids are growing up way too quick. If the devil can't distort, he'll distract. And he's doing a pretty darn good job of it right now. So we can protect ourselves from distortion. We can protect ourselves from distraction. How? Paul says, train yourself in godliness. What does that mean? Groundbreaking. You have to read the Bible. You need to study it. You need to pray. You need to surround yourselves with good people. You need to work and put a little bit of effort into growing closer to God. And when we do that, a Holy Spirit in the, in the life that we live, our relationship with God will permeate through our work and our school and how we talk to people and how we run our family and run our household. Everything looks different when we're intentional. And so Paul says this is trustworthy. This is worth noting, right? It's worth writing down. He also says, look, so many of us are worried about taking care of our physical body, and that's a good thing. We should take care of our physical bodies. But he says that has limited benefits. But when we take care of our spiritual body, it has eternal benefits. So yes, work hard, take care of yourself, eat right, but also put your hope and faith in Jesus Christ and know that we're saved by grace and we get eternal benefits from that. And he said, we're all saved by God. Now that doesn't mean that all people go to heaven. What that means is this, all of humanity has been positively affected by Jesus Christ, whether they realize it or not. They call that common grace, that all of us receive a certain level of grace, whether we're saved or not saved. When it comes to the church, I'm so sick of people bashing on the church. What has the church ever done? Well, let me tell you what the church has done. The reason why you have universities and hospitals 
in orphanages. The reason why every nonprofit, virtually every nonprofit in this community exists is because Christians have felt the need to fill a void and go out and help those that are hurting. The Christian church has done more for humanity than any organization or any group that has ever existed since the, since the birth of mankind, right? And so, so many people have been blessed and helped even if they don't acknowledge that, right? Last part, I gotta hurry. Paul says, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for believers in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. Until I come, give your attention to public reading, to exhortation, to teaching. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by a council of elders. Practice these things. Be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things for in doing so, look at this, you will not only save yourself but your hearers. That is huge. Now listen, every single one of us in this room that claims to be a follower of Jesus is responsible for guarding the truth. You're responsible for the integrity of the reputation of Jesus Christ. To guard the truth, you must first know the truth. If you're going to guard the word, one must read the word. You must know what the truth is then we have to determine in our minds that we're gonna stick to the word and the truth regardless of what culture tells us and regardless of how culture treats us. And the last five years ago, I think we're finally getting a smidgen of a taste of what it means to stick with the truth and be persecuted a little bit. I know it's still social, right? It's not physical yet. But if you stick to the teachings of the New Testament especially, there are gonna be people who are going to hate you for it. And I think we're finally starting to feel that a little bit in our culture. Here's the other thing Paul says. He looks at his young protege, Timothy, and he says, don't yet let your youth, your age, be an excuse to not step up and live the way you should. Also, live in such a way to when older people look at you, they can't misjudge you or they can't despise you because you're young. Often in our culture, even in Christian culture, we say, well, they're just young and dumb, right? He's just sleeping around and getting drunk because he's sowing his wild oats, right? God forbid your life gets snuffed out like my friend Michael Lancaster when he was doing coke and getting drunk, driving down 24, hits an embankment in his mid-20s, right? Sowing those wild oats. God forbid something like that happen. But even if it doesn't, just because one is young does not give them a license to live immorally. Amen. When you go back and study Mother Mary, Mother Mary was probably 15 or 16 years old when she was chosen by God to carry the Messiah. She was a kid, a teenager. And when we say, well, they're just dumb teens, God is looking for, for teenagers and college students and 20-somethings and 30-somethings and 40-somethings who have a grip on morality and want to live in a way that honors God. And we're to set an example. How? We're to set an example in how we talk to people and how we talk about other people. So the Christian needs to temper their tongue. It's something that I need to work on sometimes. The word is set an example in conduct. The Christian should not be lazy at work. If you're the lazy one at your job and everyone knows you're a Christian, you're not representing us well. 
You need to work hard. You need to be honest. You need to be hospitable. If you're in the food industry or the service industry, you need to smile. They're paying you to do that, right? Smile, be friendly to people, go the extra mile. It's how we should be known. We're to set an example in how we love people. The Bible calls us to love all people, all people of gender preference, all people of sexual preference, all people of religious preference, all people. We are to love them. Now, here's the confusion in our day and age. We are being told this narrative that if you disagree with me, you hate me. And that is not true. I can love you and disagree with you simultaneously. And so the Christian has to love everyone, but we are not to condone sin and we're not to hate people that agree differently than us. We're to love all people, but we're not to agree with all people. We're to set an example with faith, a dependency on Christ. We're to set an example with purity. Do you know the divorce rate amongst Christians and non-Christians is about the same? The porn addiction between Christians and non-Christians is about the same. And that's not the way it's supposed to be, guys. It's not the way it's supposed to be. That we are to set the example for purity, sexual purity, how we think, how we look at people, what we're looking at on the internet, things like that. We're to set that example. Paul also tells Timothy that the church is supposed to have some basic components, that we are to read the word of God, that we are to preach the word of God, and we are to teach, go into greater depth, the word of God. Why is this such an important deal? Why didn't he mention all these other things that churches do? Because Paul understood that the word holds all wisdom, it holds all power, it holds all truth, and the congregation needs it. And I find it fascinating that so few churches read the word of God. They'll read one scripture, twist it, turn it, make it say whatever they wanna say, create some goofy video to go along with it, and that's preaching, and it's not really preaching, and it's not really teaching. We're to read the word of God and dive in headfirst into it. We also see this very personal moment between this kind of older father figure and Timothy, this young protege. Paul looks at Timothy and says, Timothy, don't forget that you've been called. Don't forget that you've been given a gift. Don't forget that God spoke through the elders of the church and they laid their hands on you and they told you that God was going to do great things with you. Don't forget that when times get tough. Very personal moment there. Now here's a good bit of just kind of, of, of information for you and, and something to think about. If you ever feel like God is calling you somewhere or calling you to do something, you may have heard from God, you may not have heard from God. A good way to check that is get the elders of the church, get some praying people in the church, get maybe some people on my staff or someone that you trust as an older, more spiritually mature person and have them pray about it as well and see if God will confirm that through strong people around you, right? It doesn't hurt to get maybe a second opinion or have an elder of the church lay hands on you and make sure that it's God's voice you're hearing and not your own voice, not your own ambition, okay? And then Paul tells Timothy, you gotta work at this. If you're gonna do anything great in this life, it's gonna be difficult, it's not easy. If it was easy to be great, everyone would be great. But here's the thing, God has called every single one of you to be a part of this master plan. But we cannot be a part of God's master plan unless we are diligent, unless we work, unless we put some time and effort and intentionality in this. And why is it so important? Why do I get up here and yell and scream? And why do we have the written word? And why did Paul tell Timothy? And why do we constantly focus on prayer and reading the word of God and being at church? Why is this such a big deal? Why? 
because absolutely everything is in the balance. What's on the line? Everything's on the line. Your marriage is on the line. Husband, wife, if you two get away from God, I promise you, you're gonna end up either being miserable and hating each other or you're gonna end up in divorce or both. If you're in here and you have children and God is not the key component of your life, your children are going to defect. They're gonna run from the faith. Marriages, families, your personal salvation, your eternity is on the line. The barista that you talk with in Starbucks, their eternity is on the line. Your neighbor's eternity is on the line. Cultures and societies and generations are on the line. Why is this important? Because it matters in every single walk of our life. What the Christian has forgot is this. Christ came to save us, and in the absence of Christ, we are absolutely, utterly lost. Lost. Why is it important? Because everything's on the line. Everything is on the line. That's why Paul looks and he says, Timothy, 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 pay attention. Pay attention. Turn the TV off for a second. Put the phone down for a second. Turn Fox News off for a second. Turn CNN off for a second. Listen, pay attention. I was in Boston Logan Airport the other day, which is, I think that's one of the levels of hell. I was in Boston Logan the other day. And I'm sitting there. And, and here's the thing. Guys, I want, you, I want some of you to make like a commitment to, to help me do this. Whenever I'm at an airport or a coffee shop or something like that, I have made it a point to leave my phone in my pocket. Read a book. It's this thing. It's got a cover and it's got pages in it. Like bring one of those or a magazine. It's similar to a book, but it's a little bit floppier. Bring one of these and read some things, right? Learn something. But what I do sometimes is I just sit there. And I was looking around Boston Logan at the terminal I was at, right, waiting to get on my plane to come back home. And without a doubt, I, without exaggeration, 99% of everyone, right? Right here. Living this vicarious life, doing this thing, right? And I'm looking around and I'm like, my God, we wonder how easily we get deceived and it's because none of us are paying any attention to anything. It's fascinating to me. You know, if we're gonna pay attention to our life, we first have to determine what is, what is the meaning of this? Why are we here? People often ask, what is the meaning of life? Now listen, the way you answer this will determine what direction your life goes. It will determine the target that you will at least be aiming at. If you think the meaning of this life, or if one thinks the meaning of this life is my personal happiness, Now, I know most of you in this room would not admit to that, but we live in such a way to where our real goal is our personal happiness. And we're told this all the time by society. Be happy. Do what you want to do. Do it your way. Identify whatever you want to identify as. Don't let anyone do this. Be offended by everyone that says something you don't agree with. It's all about you. So what a lot of us have done in this room is we've created a target, and the bullseye of that target is my personal happiness. It's the meaning of life. But that's not the Christian meaning of life. The Christian meaning of life is the ultimate glory of God. It is something far greater than me, something far greater than you. And so here's the thing, Jesus, Jesus' brain works in such an interesting, ironic way. Jesus addressed these two targets, right? The meaning of life. And he said, if you really wanna find the meaning of life, you first have to give up your target. If you truly wanna live, you have to give up your life. And he says, if you'll give up your life, you'll truly find life. 
Now, just because our target is not my personal happiness doesn't mean that we will not achieve happiness. Because I believe when God's the target, we receive even something greater than happiness. We receive joy. And we receive contentment. It's something that is much deeper. Happiness is based on what you have or don't have. Joy and contentment has nothing to do with that. You have it regardless of what you have or don't have. But when we make God and the glory of God the target, not us, our life starts to move a different direction. Now let's say for argument's sake that we agree that's the target we wanna aim for, the ultimate glory of God. If that's gonna be your target, honestly your target, you first have to know what you believe and you have to protect it at all costs. Well, Corey, they're gonna hate us. Jesus told us they're gonna hate us. He said they hated me first, right? You're gonna receive opposition. It's going to cost you something but first we have to know what we believe and we have to settle in our mind. As Paul said, we have to be persuaded that I'm gonna stick by it at all costs. How do we do this? We live in godliness by reading the Bible, by praying, by surrounding yourselves with other strong believers. That doesn't mean that we can't have friends that aren't believers, but the people you spend really good quality time with, the ones that are just have any kind of entry point into your life. They need to be strong believers. They're not the ones that the first time your husband messes up, all your girlfriends are like, divorce that jerk. You need to get away from those kinds of women. The men that drag you down and want you to do these guys' nights away from your family. You need to get away from those clowns. You need to hang out with people who sharpen you. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron, but if we only hang out with dull wood, what do you think happens? Iron sharpens iron. We must be sacrificial. Mother, that means put down your phone and hang out with your child. Father, do whatever you have to do to come home on time. Spend some time with your family. Take your wife out. It means that we need to set aside some time to read the word, that we have to be intentional. We have to, we have to do things on purpose. You're not gonna build a strong relationship with God on accident. You're not just gonna walk up one day to your desk at work and be like, oh, 1 Timothy chapter four, I guess I'll read this. No, you have to get the book. You have to open it up. You have to intentionally set aside some time to learn about your savior. You need to be knowledgeable and you need to be dependent on Christ. You have to know that it is by his grace, it is by his direction, it is by his Holy Spirit, by his knowledge, his, his giving you whatever you need, that that's the only way you're gonna make it. Can we do it? By God's grace, we can do it. Yes, dependent on Christ. We're to pay attention to our life because how we live matters. And way too much is on the line if we're not paying attention. Let that sink in. It's not just your own personal salvation, it's your marriage. It's your children, it's your neighbor, it's your school, it's your city. It's all on the line. If we're asleep at the wheel, we're going to crash. That's why the Bible says, wake up, sleeper. Wake up. In 1 Timothy, it says this, and I think we forget. Please listen to this. We must be acutely aware of how subtle Satan has crept into our lives. 
It's not that watching Stranger Things is evil. It's not that, that watching documentaries are evil. But what has happened is subtly the devil has crept in and that has become a greater priority in your lives than building a relationship with him, building a relationships with others. And what has happened is it's not inherently evil to watch TV, but when the devil creeps in and that becomes more important than anything else, he has subtly introduced evil into our lives. He distorts the truth. Look at human sexuality right now. What does the word homosexual really mean? You can look it up and see explicitly what it means. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't love people who live that lifestyle, but we have to stand firm to what this says, regardless of what that costs. But some subtle distortions have slipped in. Do you know what's happening now? There's a lot of people who don't like the teachings of Paul. They call themselves Christians, but they don't like the teachings of Paul. So you know what they're doing? Well, let's remove Paul's writings from the Bible, which is 70% of the New Testament. You know what's fascinating about that? Peter said in one of his epistles, do everything Paul tells you to do. Wait a second. So if Paul is wrong and Peter affirmed Paul, we gotta take out Peter. Wait a second. Jesus gave the keys of the church to Peter. So if we take out Paul, we take out Peter. If we take out Peter, we take out Jesus. Listen, this is what's happening. But if we're constantly focused on this thing, you don't understand that Satan has, has, has crept in and distorted the very fabric of what saves your soul. Distorted, distracted. Do you know what happens? Do you know why I'm so adamantly against marijuana? Do you know why I'm so adamantly against drugs and drug use? Do you know why I'm so adamantly against being intoxicated and drinking so much? Because Peter, the one that held the keys of the kingdom, he said, listen, he was talking to the church. He said, you have to be sober. You have to be vigilant. You have to be alert. You have to be awake. Why? Because your adversary, your enemy, the one who is sent to steal, kill, destroy, is roaring around. He's walking around, roaring like a lion, looking to devour you. Amen. He's roaming around. The devil is looking at your family, and he's waiting to find a way in. He's looking at your marriage and he's waiting for an open door. He's waiting for you to be a little bit too distracted, a little bit too distorted, a little too apathetic, a little bit too inebriated. This whole generation that is pushing for a drug, saying that it's the salvation of us, it cures everything. Flip, what is wrong with us? We've become so focused on things that just edify us that we have taken our focus off God. And what we've done is we've fallen asleep at the wheel. And Peter says, be awake, be sober-minded, be vigilant. Look, Paul looked at Timothy and he said, pay attention. Pay attention to your life. Pay attention to what you're doing. Why? Because everything hangs in the balance. Amen. Everything. What's on the line? Everything's on the line. Pay attention. Pay attention. in the nicest and, and least accusatory way I can say it. Some of you need to wake up. Amen. Some of you, and this isn't a lesson on cell phones, but it happens to be the God of our day right now, right? Some of you need to put that thing down. 
Some of you need to turn the TV off. Some of you just need to lift your eyes up and look around. And some of you need to continue to lift your eyes up and notice that Christ is still calling for you. And he's saying, be awake, be sober, pay attention. Would you bow your heads with me, please? This is a trap that all of us can fall in and I dare say all of us have fallen into. I've fallen into it. I had to repent to my wife last week that I've just been selfish. Spend more time thinking about old cars than I do about hanging out with my family and I had to ask for her forgiveness. I had to wake up. That I've been getting on Facebook Marketplace looking at cars more than I've been reading my Bible. God forgive me. I need to wake up. If I'm not careful, my kids are gonna grow up and they're gonna move out and I hadn't put a proper, I hadn't instilled a proper love for God in them. If I'm not careful, it's gonna happen to you. That one day our wives or our husbands walk out the door and we say, well, how did this happen? Well, you never talked to her. You never spent time with him. You never poured into each other. You were asleep at the wheel. That's how it happened. One day we're gonna have to stand in front of our maker. We're gonna say, but I went to church every week. I had a tattoo that said Christ follower, right? And Jesus is gonna say, I don't know you. Because you were asleep at the wheel. If you're in this room and maybe you've been asleep, maybe you've never met Jesus Christ, maybe you don't know anything about what I'm talking about today, but you're curious. Up here to my right, your left, Dave, one of our pastors is up here at the corner of the stage. If you have any questions for him, please come up here and talk to him. If he can't answer it in you know, five minutes or whatever, maybe he can set an appointment with you or talk to you or something like that. If you need prayer for anything, we have men and women on both sides of the stage. They'd love to pray with you. And all around this room, guys, we have communion. Let me, let, me, let me be a jerk for a second as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Listen, I know you got things to do. I know you got restaurants to eat at. I know you got you know, yards to mow and emails to answer. If you're a Christian in this room and I offer you the body and blood of Jesus Christ, a reminder that the God of the universe gave his only son to die for us, take five minutes of your time and, and observe that, please. Don't just rush out. Listen, whatever you're doing today is not nearly as important as remembering that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. Nothing you do today. Take a minute, settle down, pay attention. The God of the universe gave his only son to die on a cross so we could have help, so he could save us so he could give us joy and contentment, a relationship with him, so we can be the fathers, mothers, students, friends, brothers, sisters, whatever we need to be in this life. Take a minute and think about that. Pay attention. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. Father, we thank you, Lord, for everything that you've done for us, God. Lord, forgive me, Corey Trimble, God, that I have made it about me sometimes, that I can get selfish, Lord, and that my target becomes about me and not you. Father, Lord, let us all pay attention. Lord, let us look around our neighborhoods and our coffee shops and our work. Lord, let us look up to you, God. 
and see what you want us to do and listen to you. Let us be sober-minded and vigilant and diligent. God, we love you and we thank you, Jesus, for everything you've done for us. God, bless my brothers and sisters in this room. Keep our eyes open and our ears open, God. We love you, we thank you, we praise you. We pray all these things in your son's name, in Jesus' name. Amen, I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself, thank you. Bye.